Welcome to the To Love, Honor, and Vacuum podcast, the place where we try to make marriage less like a to-do list and more like a passionate adventure. I'm Sheila Ray Gregoire from the To Love, Honor, and Vacuum blog, and I want to talk today about how faith should be impacting our marriages. You know what's really interesting is that um, I get people from so many different walks of faith on the blog. I think I started out kind of like an evangelical blogger, like I was in that niche, but what I found is maybe it's because I talk about sex and very few people talk about sex, but lots of people want to talk about sex. But I end up with people from all kinds of different faith walks. I have a lot of Catholics who watch and or who read and who listen. And I'm so glad you're here, by the way. Uh, I have what you would definitely call Calvinists, but I also have people more from the Arminian perspective. And if you don't know what those words mean, I'm actually jealous. I think my life would be easier if I didn't know what those words meant as well. Um, I, I have some Orthodox people. And then I have a lot of people that would probably call themselves like the nuns or the duns, people who have been involved in faith communities, but have walked away from the church. And one of my favorite things is getting emails from people saying, you know, I had a really bad view of church, but I love the way that you talk about Jesus and you make him real. And it's making me think that I might want to go back to church again. Because I do believe that Jesus matters, and I do believe that being in a good community of faith matters. And it matters for your marriage. It matters for you. It just has such a tremendous impact on our lives. The problem is that too often what we think of as the church hasn't lived out the body of Christ. And I want to look at that today. This week, in the broader Christian world, a lot of people have been mourning and talking about Rachel Held Evans passing. And Rachel Held Evans was a wonderful woman who wrote a lot about how to bring Jesus back into our worship and how to create a Jesus-centered worship where we learn from him what we're supposed to be doing. And she got a lot of enemies because some of the stuff she said was quite controversial. But I think that she had such a tremendous voice and I'm so grateful she was here. But I'm also really mourning her passing because she left two little kids one in three and a husband. She was only 37 years old. So this is a time for great mourning. And I thought just to honor her that I would have Rebecca on the show um, today. And we could talk about what the big message she had for us was and how we could bring that back to our marriages. So Rebecca, hello. Hello. Um, so what what's your impression of what Rachel was trying to say? Well, when you look at Rachel's ministry and what Rachel was saying, no matter what the specific point was she was arguing in that moment, the general idea behind what she lived out and what she really, really taught was that faith needs to be more than just knowing the right things, but it needs to be about authentic living like Jesus. Mm-hmm. You know, no matter what you're doing, no matter what the situation, no matter what your context, we should be reflecting Christ. And that should be our first priority, mm-hmm. not necessarily having all the right answers, not necessarily saying all the huge theological arguments just there at the tip of our tongue. But it was challenging people to leave that comfort zone of theological prowess if that was getting in the way of them acting like Jesus, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah, because I think that a lot of churches have really elevated 
doctrine over practice. Exactly. And that gets back to what you were saying. Like, even on To Love, Honor, and Vacuum, we have so many different streams of Christianity on our blog. Mm-hmm. You know? We really do. And do we actually believe that if one person comes from one area of Christianity and we come from a different one, like, we can't learn from each other or we can't have community with each other? Like, of course not. Mm-hmm. And Rachel was trying to build community across a lot of those lines. Like, there are certain things... Exactly. I've always said there are certain things that are absolutely essential, and those would be the the things in the Apostles' Creed. Um, exactly. But there's a lot of other things that we layer upon layer, and we cause that to cause division, and it ends up setting us apart from one another and against one another, and that really isn't helpful. But more than that, it sets up this idea, and this is what Rachel was trying to was trying to fight as well, that we can we can know everything about God and we can figure God out. Because when you start thinking that way, it can get really arrogant, really fast, Mm -hmm. really fast. And I want to read you a quote that she said. It's a frightful thing, thinking you have to get God right in order to get God to love you. Thinking you're always one error away from damnation. It's a kind of legalism, really. And how ironic the very condition of humanity is to be wrong about God. The moment we figure God out, God ceases to be God. Maybe it's time to embrace the mystery and let ourselves off the hook. Exactly. And I thought I think that's really um, important. And I, so I thought today we could just talk about our faith journey because a lot of our listeners and readers probably wonder about mine. I don't tend to talk about it much because I don't <laughs> want to be exclusionary. Uh-huh. You know, if I say that I'm this particular denomination, then people might think, well, if I'm not that denomination, I'm not welcome on the blog. And that's not the way I see it at all. So uh, h- here in a nutshell is is what I've been through. I grew up Baptist. I First, my first church was a Baptist one. Um, then we went to United Church in Canada, which tends to be more mainline. Um, I was confirmed in the Anglican Church when I was 13. Then I went to youth group at a Presbyterian church, which I loved. At the same time, I uh, visited my family in another city quite often on weekends. and went to an Alliance church there for youth group. Um, Later, I went to a Pentecostal church, uh, and then I went to an. I was married in an Alliance church. When we were in Toronto, we were living in downtown Toronto, and there weren't a lot of really good evangelical churches downtown. So we ended up going to an evangelical Anglican church, which I still think is one of my best church experiences because I love liturgy. Um, I love the prayers and liturgy. I think they're so incredible, and I think that that. The evangelical idea of, well, prayer needs to be spontaneous sounds really stupid because your prayers sound like this, you know, oh, Lord, we just we just come before you, Lord, and we just we just want to say, Lord, that you are you are just so awesome, Lord. And it's like, it's like <laughs> the word just becomes our liturgy in the evangelical world. How many times can you say the word just in a prayer? So Anglican prayers absolutely beautiful. Um, So that was a wonderful church experience. Then we moved and I had a really good experience for many years at a Baptist church where I got into women's Bible study. Um, Then we went back to an Alliance church and we are now at a Wesleyan church. So I've been everything. I've been, I've, I've been in Calvinist churches. I've been in Arminian churches. I've been in, uh, Pentecostal churches, charismatic churches. I've been everything. (laughs) (laughs) And, and you did a lot of that journey, not all of it, but some of it with me. Yep. And some of the churches we left because we moved. Um, and I still have very good experiences with a lot of those. Some of them we left because they got more interested in doctrine than they did in living out Jesus. Yep. 
And, and also because it, it really wasn't a great situation for you and Katie in some of those churches. Well, exactly. That's what I found um, so interesting. I hadn't even realized the impact of that until I came over to university and I started going to the church that I go to now, which is incredibly honest. I think that's the best word to say, you know, Mm -hmm. like there's no faking that everyone's okay. There's like, you're allowed to come to church and look like a complete mess and people Mm -hmm. don't look at you like, oh, what are you doing? They're kind of like, wow. Okay. Do you you need some prayer, sweetie? Like, but not in a bad way in a like, hi, normally you brush your hair. I'm noticing it's not. Do you need help? Right? Like in a good way, because you're allowed to kind of comb to church really screwed up. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> but at the same time, there's there's a lot of emphasis on, you know, yeah, come as you are and then find your healing and growth, right? Like, don't just stagnate. Mm-hmm. And I, I really have been finding that so helpful and so kind of healing from a lot of the experiences I had growing up. Because I, I was born in that downtown Anglican church. Mm-hmm. But you don't then, remember it. <laughs> I don't remember it at all. No, not, not at all. And then was at the Baptist church. And then at the Alliance Church. And then I went to youth group at the Pentecostal and Baptist churches in our area for a little bit. And then I eventually left for university. Mm-hmm. And now I'm at a Wesleyan church as well. Mm-hmm. Right? But it's just been... Um, what I found so funny is that... Um, well, what I found is such a huge gift is that my, my husband, who became a Christian when he was 18, he's only ever gone to the church that we're going to now. And he doesn't have a lot of the baggage that I have actually about church yeah. because he hasn't ever experienced that idea of, you know, if you don't act exactly the way that we think a Christian should act like or should believe or should think then you are no longer welcome here or you are Mm -hmm. you need to figure out what's wrong with you Mm -hmm. Um, there's just much more openness to conversation yeah and um i i really think that what we're missing in church is the fact that jesus came not just to save us to eternal life but to bring the kingdom of god to earth Exactly. When we pray the Lord's Prayer, we pray, Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. This earth, this world, our country, our city, wherever you live, is supposed to be being transformed into the kind of world that God wants. And that kind of world is not focused on doctrine. (laughs) Exactly. That kind of world is focused on how we treat one another. I'm not saying doctrine is not important. I have very, very... Um, firm beliefs on a lot of doctrinal issues. But I can also firmly say that people who don't necessarily agree with me are still my brothers and sisters in Christ if we are living out Jesus. Well, and that's exactly what it says in Scripture. Like, this is the thing. Scripture itself puts doctrine below how we live. Mm -hmm. Right? In 1 Corinthians 13, right, Paul starts out by saying, if I have... If I can speak in the tongues of men and of angels, and if I have a faith that can move mountains, but have not love, I have nothing. Mm-hmm. You know, he says, if I can prophesy, if I speak prophecies, if... Pretty if much, I understand all mysteries and all knowledge. Yes, but have not love, I am nothing. Mm-hmm. You know, like, that's the thing is that we forget so often, I think, is that even scripture says, your doctrine is useless if it leads you anywhere other than living out of a place of love like Christ. 
Mm-hmm. And that's what we don't like to acknowledge because the problem is what doctrine's kind of easy, right? Yeah. Because there's check boxes. We can make sure that we're in the right crowd. It's like getting automatic acceptance into a click, mm-hmm. you know? Whereas if we are instead held to a standard of living versus a standard of belief system, well then... Our Christianity doesn't just end when our devotions end, right? We have to keep living out like Christ, even when we're in line at the DMV, Mm -hmm. you know, Mm -hmm. or even when we're dealing with the middle of traffic and our kids and kids are bickering in the back seat. Like it's, it's a lot harder. And the problem is is we get so short-sighted because I think a lot of us, and I've had this happen to myself included, are in these very small, reduced bubbles of what Christianity is. And I think if we started to understand that, like, if we come from an evangelical background, our Catholic and our Anglican and our Orthodox brothers and sisters, and even other streams of evangelicalism, they're also our brothers and sisters, and we need to learn from each other. I think that it would help. And the thing that we all have in common is Jesus. Exactly. We need to get back to Jesus. It's very easy to debate God. And this is what a lot of people do, is they debate, you know, what does God say about this? And we get into all of these debates on what does God think about creation, about women, about all these. It's it's much harder to debate Jesus because Jesus is so obvious. <laughs> you, know, you, read, you read the Gospels and it's obvious what Jesus thinks. But sometimes we don't like where that will take us. And so we would rather talk about God. And what I find, especially with people who have left the church, is that they're far more willing to talk about Jesus than they are to talk about God. Mm-hmm. Because God has become something scary and something kind of mean. Um, and we need to get back to talking about Jesus. When you do that, when you when God becomes a person, and remember that Jesus himself said that, he who has seen me has seen the Father. Jesus came to show us what God was like. Jesus himself is God, but he came to put God in flesh, you know, put God with skin on so that we could we could get a better idea of, of who God is. And if you're ever wondering what God thinks of you, you just need to look at what Jesus, how Jesus would act towards you. And that's what we need to get back to. And so, you know, in your marriage, this stuff matters. It does. Because a lot of people are really hurting spiritually right now, because they're not in churches that are building them up. I know that when Keith and I had to make the decision to leave churches, it was a very difficult decision. Uh, because that had been our family, but we were increasingly feeling like it wasn't functioning as the body of Christ and it was being really dysfunctional and Mm -hmm. we weren't able to blossom there. And a lot of that was due to how you guys were being treated as well. And leaving was the right decision for us Mm -hmm. as your kids. It was the right decision. It was becoming a very toxic place for us. Yeah, like the youth group was toxic. Um, The things that they were wanting you to believe about yourselves were toxic. You know, all of the purity and stuff that that I've been railing against the blog, a lot of that was being taught. And we needed to get you in a better place. And at the point when we left the first church, we'd been going there for nine years, which sounds like a long time. But there's a lot of people who have been in the same church for 25 years. Yep. And you may need to leave too, but that's a very difficult decision to make. Um, But I just want to encourage people. I'm I'm not trying to say everybody should leave their church. You know, sometimes God may be calling you to stay and change the church, but whatever. But... I do think that it's very, very important that you ask yourself, is this the place that God has planted me? And is this the place that I'm growing? Because many of us are propping up churches that 
are actually being very toxic to us. And the reality that no one wants to talk about, too, is that if you're in a toxic church and you keep going, if you aren't actively trying to change it, you're enabling it. Yeah. That's what no one ever admits. And and what is, what's going on with your kids? That's a big one. And this is really where my heart is. And, and I want people to hear this, but if you look at the percentage of kids that are walking away from the church, as soon as they get to university, they never go back. A lot of that is because they don't see the church functioning as something that really matters. Yeah, and honestly, when I did the research for why I didn't rebel, I found that with a lot of the kids who left the faith either like for a time. Because everyone who I interviewed came back to the faith, and that's why they were interested in doing the interview. <laughs> but of the kids who left the faith and came back, they leave the faith because Christianity seems hypocritical. Because it's all head knowledge and no living it out. And then they come back to the faith because they encounter Jesus. Again and again yes. and again. Yes. Almost every single person that I talked talked to that was their exact experience they grew up in a home where jesus wasn't there but all the devotions and the head knowledge was right and then they move out they grow up they hit rock bottom they reach out they find jesus and they come back and they don't have the same faith as their parents they never quite like quote unquote come back as their parents want them to a lot of them Mm -hmm. but their faith is real and they are back and that's just what i i think is so important and i don't mean to say that as something to scare parents necessarily or say oh look at how badly these parents did this wrong that's not what i'm saying what i'm saying is more to try to encourage you like if you have kids who are struggling and questioning or even if you're married to a spouse who's struggling and questioning maybe that's just a sign that as a family it's time to kind of step back and say okay someone's having a hard time are we focusing on living like Jesus mm-hmm. and how can we focus on living like Jesus because we just sometimes we struggle and sometimes we doubt but if we can get back to living how Jesus would have lived I think that helps get people to the heart of the matter yeah and a lot of the peripheral issues like the doctrinal disagreements or the specific theological concerns they kind of fade away because they aren't as important as Jesus right and and that's actually a really key thing to understand I tell this to wives all the time if your husband is starting to doubt the faith Don't panic because it may not be that he's actually doubting the faith. It may just be that he's doubting your church's doctrine. And Mm -hmm. remember that somebody can be a Christian and a Jesus follower without necessarily agreeing with you on all the doctrine. And what I have seen over and over again is wives and husbands who have panicked and pushed their their questioning spouse away from the faith because they haven't allowed those questions. God is big enough to handle your questions. Exactly. Here's another great quote from Rachel that I want to highlight. If you want millennials back in the pews, stop trying to make church cool. When I left church at age 29, full of doubt and disillusionment, I wasn't looking for a better produced Christianity. I was looking for a truer Christianity, a more authentic Christianity. (laughs) You know, fog machines and amazing video equipment and amazing lighting and amazing musical instruments that is not going to bring people to the faith. Because it's no substitute for genuine connection with Christ. Exactly. And it's amazing how little that stuff actually matters to young people. We think we're doing it for the young people, but it might be keeping young people at youth group. It's not keeping them in church forever. Yep. Because they know that's not real. And it's just entertainment. And then they leave and they leave off for university and they never go back to church. So, you know, let your kids question stuff. 
Let your kids try to wrestle with doctrinal issues, even if they don't always agree with you, as long as you guys come back to Jesus and to how Jesus would live stuff out. That's okay. So let them question. And if your kids are questioning your church, then really consider getting into a better church environment for them because the community that kids are in when they're teenagers is so important for what happens to their faith life as they grow. Exactly. And if it means that you have to go to church that you don't particularly like that much for four years so that your children's faith can blossom, you can always go back once they leave the house. Yep. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. It's, it's very worth it if your kids can go somewhere where they feel connected and where they can make real friends and community who are Christian, who can encourage them, who are outside their family. You need your family to encourage you, but you also need peers and you need intergenerational connections as well. And so I just want to say one last thing to some of my listeners, and maybe you're in the nuns or the duns category. Nuns as in N-O-N-E-S, not nuns as in Catholic nuns, although maybe there's some Catholic nuns listening as well. But when we grow up in really conservative churches, one of the messages that we hear over and over again is that this is the only real church. This is the only real place that you can encounter the real God. And we internalize that. And then when we start not liking the doctrine or finding the people hypocritical or not finding the church authentic, and we walk away, we think that we've walked away from God. Because what we've heard our whole life is this is the only place where you can meet the true God. And so you see the true God, and you don't like the true God very much, and so you figure that you must just be done. And what I want to encourage you today is that there are places, there are other churches, other communities, where there may be a different expression. And Mm -hmm. please don't leave God just because you didn't have a good church experience. I have been in so many different denominations, and I have seen Jesus in different ways in almost all of them, and they've all been good experiences in retrospect for me, even the ones that we had to leave eventually. We still had really good years there first. And, you know, the place that I'm in right now, I definitely feel Jesus. Um, I've had great experiences at, at many different denominations and many different churches. So don't believe that lie that there is only one place where you'll meet the true God. Look for the authentic Jesus, and he can be found in every denomination. He really can be, because it's not about the denomination, it's about the people that are in the pews. So please, if you're a nun or a dun, (laughs) I just want to encourage you to try a different church and to find that authentic community, because it is out there. And if that's one thing that Rachel Held Evans left us with, then I pray that that is a lesson that we'll all learn, is that... There are places where we can encounter Jesus and don't give up just because one church experience has been bad for you. Like this podcast? Then you'd love the blog. Join us at tolovehonorandvacuum.com where Sheila blogs every weekday about marriage, faith, and of course, sex. At the To Love, Honor, and Vacuum community, we deal with the messiness of life. We don't traffic in pat answers. Join us for thought-provoking posts, discussion starters, and great challenges to make your marriage and your love life strong. Every week I like to throw out a reader question that's been sent in and try to take a stab at answering it. I'm actually going to skip the millennial marriage segment today because Rebecca and I were talking together on the main segment. So we'll just go right to the reader question. And this one is also about church. And I'm using church as our common thread in today's podcast. But here's what the woman asks. 
How do you balance the needs of your family with the constant need of attendance at church functions? My husband is a deacon in our church and sincerely enjoys it, but there is the meetings and the visits that go with that, as well as other committee involvements, and he often needs to work late. Faith and church involvement isn't a checklist for me, but I feel often it seems like there is always more volunteers needed for something or this or that, and I'm just not sure how to figure out what the balance should be. So great question. I think that that's something that a lot of us deal with. Let me answer by telling you a bit of a story. My husband has been asked to be an elder and a deacon um, many times at many different churches. And I remember one particular time at that point, we were leaving the teens Bible quizzing program. So every Sunday morning, we met for two hours before church with a whole ton of teenagers. And then we also took them on four weekends away for tournaments every every year. And they memorized these books of the Bible. It was really intense. It was really fun. There were adults that were really involved with us, and so we got to know them really well. But at the same time, Keith was on call several nights a week, so he was very busy. I was speaking a lot, so we really wanted our family time. But in order to be on the on the board, what they told us is that it would be two meetings a month, which doesn't sound like that much, but if you're already away for eight nights a month on call, that, that adds up. Uh, so two meetings a month, plus we would have to be in a small group, which was once a week. And Keith would have to attend one of the church's ministry functions in over the course of the month so that he could report back. We found this really problematic because we felt like our Bible quizzing was our small group. That's where we were getting a lot of our feeding. That's where we had all of our friends. And they knew everything about us. And so to join a small group on top of that, when we didn't have a regular night of the week that was free for us, plus we were trying to still spend time with our kids, just was not going to work, especially with all of these extra meetings. And so he eventually just said no. He served as a deacon once. It was a horrible experience for all kinds of reasons. And he just said, he just said no. We felt like we could do way more good by having people over to our house for dinner, by getting to know our teenagers' friends, just by getting involved in the community rather than spending all of this time in meetings. <laughs> and and so that's, that's where we put our emphasis. And I, I think that that's a big problem with churches is that they require their leaders to do all of these extra things and all of these extra meetings. Let me throw out three different thoughts in response to this. First of all, your family needs to be your main priority. And before you agree to any outside commitments, whether it's church leadership or kids activities or anything, you need to sit down and say, how are we going to protect our family time? And what does protected family time look like? maybe make one night a week where you are always all together and you do movie night, family board game night, whatever it might be. Maybe you decide that you're going to eat dinner together at least four nights a week, all of you together, and that kids' jobs even have to fit around that. You know, whatever it might be, ask yourselves, what does protected family time look like? And put that on the calendar first before you add anything else. The next thing I would say is that if you are involved in church leadership, remember that you are setting the tone for the church. And if the church leaders get so committed and spend so many hours volunteering at church, then they set the tone that everybody should be doing that. And when people spend a ton of time in church activities, they end up not spending that time with their neighbors who don't necessarily know Christ yet, with their families. And so all of your time goes into the church. That isn't necessarily healthy either for your kids or for outreach. 
So make sure that the tone that you are setting as leaders of the church is that we expect people who are involved in this church will put their families first and will put outreach before they put all of this other stuff. And if you as leaders get so overly committed that you have no time for that, then there's a problem with how you're doing church. And then the last thing that I would say is I think that as churches, we really need to re-examine a lot of the things that we do that require a lot of work. I wrote an article and I will link to it in the podcast post on tolovehonorvacuum.com about this, but I wrote an article a couple of years ago that was in a major national Canadian Christian magazine about what would happen if women started saying no to church activities. Because what I was finding increasingly is that I was being asked to do all of these things just to keep the church functioning and going that weren't necessarily necessary. (laughs) Like if you're going to have a women's event, does it really need to have all of this decorating and a theme night and all of this food. Can't we just get together informally on a Saturday morning and just talk? Or do we really have to do all of these crafts? I mean, if I have to decorate another mason jar, I will just die. I don't like decorating mason jars. I don't know why every women's thing has to have some sort of a craft. I think that it would be so much better if when we got together, we actually did something that was useful. One of the best things that we ever did was um, when the kids were teens, we were heading over to Kenya and I had this sewing party where we all made cloth fabric menstrual pads to give to the kids in Kenya. And it was so much fun. We had people of all different ages. Women were really excited about this because we all know how much this stuff matters. And if people couldn't sew, they were busy cutting fabric and we had a real assembly line going. So it's not like everybody had to know how to sew. But the people who really did know how to use the sewing machines, they were really appreciated. And even some people who weren't from our church came out to that day because they really bought into this idea of helping these girls. And they loved sewing. And this was a way that they could use their hobbies for something that really mattered. When you do stuff that matters, people get excited about it. When you do stuff that is just a make work project, people don't. And I think a lot of what is done in churches is make work projects. So what I would suggest instead is churches tend to think we need to have ministries in all of these different areas and we need to get volunteers to fill all these different ministries. And they start from this this list as opposed to starting from what is the Holy Spirit doing in our church? And that's what I would do. If you're in leadership in a church, ask yourself, what is the Holy Spirit already doing with the people in our church? And then instead of planning all these ministries, why don't you just say, where is God already working in our church and how can we get behind that? I remember I was once at a church where a whole bunch of different people were involved in the homeless ministry in our town. Um, They were pouring tons of money and time and resources into that. And then at the same time, these same people were being asked to help serve on the women's ministry committee or help serve on the outreach committee. It's like they're already doing outreach. Why don't we get rid of the outreach committee and just get volunteers to help them do what they're already doing? And that is a much better model. If you have people in your church who are already doing amazing things, then why not get volunteers to help those people as opposed to trying to start a ministry just because we're supposed to have it? And I think that if we did that, would be a much more Holy Spirit Jesus-centered church than a church that is just doing stuff because it's supposed to. And then people wouldn't feel so burnt out. Because if the Holy Spirit has moved people to do these ministries, the Holy Spirit will supply the volunteers. If volunteers are tough to find, then maybe you're doing something wrong with your church. And if you can't find volunteers, shut down the ministry. We're clearly told that God has equipped people to serve. And if people aren't serving, then maybe that is not the calling of your church.
So those are just some quick thoughts. I hope they help, but I really do think that if we prioritize family time and then we prioritize our own unique callings and giftings, then a lot of these issues with how much time should we spend at church really would disappear. Every podcast, I like to take a comment that's come in on social media or on the blog or in an email and highlight it just because I think it's interesting to talk about. And this particular one came in on my personal Facebook page um, by a woman who was talking about her abusive husband. And she was saying that um, her husband used to snarl at her, your body belongs to me and I can do what I want with it. You don't get to say no. Very common, unfortunately, this whole idea that the do not deprive verses in 1 Corinthians 7 mean that we're not allowed to refuse and thus there can be no marital rape. I've written at length against this idea. It is not biblical, but unfortunately many people still preach it. And so she was just saying how it took her two decades and many children before she finally got desperate enough to leave him. But then she said this, and this is what I really want to talk about. Sadly, the worst mistake of all was going to my church for help. If I hadn't have done that, I would have left much sooner. My children and I would have been spared years of abuse. In the end, we also had to leave our church and our Christian school, but our abuser still attends there and is happily welcome. That just breaks my heart. And if you are walking through something like that, just hear me on this. Jesus does not condone this. And your church, if it is doing this, is not of Christ. Okay, your church may say that it follows the Bible, but your church does not follow Jesus. Because we can use the Bible to justify all kinds of things. Let's face it, the Bible has been interpreted in all kinds of different ways. The way that you figure out whether you're interpreting the Bible right or not is when you ask yourself, would Jesus do what I am saying? Would Jesus do what my church is doing? And if Jesus wouldn't do it, your church is really off base. Looking at Jesus is how we figure out what God wants us to do. And so many churches talk about the law without even realizing they're doing it necessarily. And they don't talk enough about Christ. One of the big problems I have as a marriage blogger is that I really believe that in so many difficult marriage situations, what you really need to do is get a mentor, get a counselor, get people around you who can support you and help you, who can listen to both sides of the story and who can help you see clearly. And the best place to do that really is a church, like a, a functioning body of Christ where the Holy Spirit is there and people have goodwill towards each other and they love each other. Unfortunately, a lot of churches just are not acting that way. And so, like we said in the earlier segment, you need to find a church that functions as the body of Christ, because this is not of the body of Christ. It really isn't. If you are being abused, or if you think you're being abused and you're not sure, and you go into your church for counseling, and if what the church wants to talk about more than anything else is that divorce is a sin, then your church is not a safe place. Okay? Hear me very clearly on that. If you are thinking that you're abused, and you're going to the church to talk about it, and the church is only talking about how you must stay married, then the church is not a safe place. 
That does not mean that the body of Christ is not a safe place. It means that your church is not acting as the body of Christ. Because Jesus is always more concerned with the people inside the marriage than he is with the marriage itself. You know, in the Old Testament, God himself issued Israel a certificate of divorce. God divorced Israel, not because God wanted to cut off the relationship with Israel, but because Israel had already cut off the relationship with God, and so God was just formalizing it. And when you are being abused, your abuser has already destroyed your marriage. And if people don't see that, then they are not seeing you the way that Jesus does. So I just wanted to make that really clear. Unfortunately, I hear things like this all the time. I hear things like, I went to my church for help and they didn't help me. And then so often the church does end up supporting the abuser because the church sees divorce as a much bigger sin than abuse. And in a lot of cases, the church doesn't even believe that abuse exists because women are supposed to submit. So if you're in a church like that, there are other churches that function much better as the body of Christ. There really are. Like I said, I've been in every denomination (laughs) that you can think of pretty much. And what I have found is that the healthy churches, no matter what the denomination, are ones that really focus on Jesus. Not what God says and on what the law says, but on the person of Jesus being real in your life. And if your church isn't doing that, please look for a different one. I know that's a scary thing to do, but please do. You need the body of Christ, but it must be the body of Christ, not just a church. So even if it's scary, go get help because you're never going to flourish in this life if you are in a church body, which does not reflect Jesus. You're only going to be surrounded by Pharisees and that is never a safe place to be. Thanks for joining us for the To Love, Honor, and Vacuum podcast, where we like to try to get authentic, not just live our lives as to-do lists. I am so glad you all have found me, and I hope that I can point you to Jesus and to authentic faith. Please keep leaning into Jesus. He really does care. And my prayer for all of you is that you will find authentic community in real life, too. Be sure to check out tolovehonorandvacuum.com, where I have more information on this podcast, and I will see you again next week. 